anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Peter. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's George. Um, I'm the, uh, the, the ministry assistant here at St. Nick's. Um, I also happen to be related to Dave and Judy. Dave is my stepdad, uh, uh, which will become important a bit later on in the talk, hence I'm saying it now. Let me pray uh, for us as we come to look at God's words this morning. Uh, lean hard, lean hard on the everlasting arms. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, those arms would um, support us this morning as we come to look at your word. Would you uh, help us to uh, sit at your feet and be be taught by you. Um, Give us humility and grace that we might long to know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Just a quick, before I start, just a quick plug for a book. Um, uh, today, um, our passage and our talk is, is on the theme of, of knowing God, uh, knowing God better. And if um, what I say today sort of piques your interest, I can really recommend this book. Um, this is an old copy. It's called Knowing God uh, by uh, J.I. Packer. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Um, just make a note of that uh, if you want to follow up on what I say uh, today. Well, here at St. we do love to uh, look at the Bible. If you're new here this morning, perhaps you could uh, keep the reading, the second reading that we had, open, because I'll be referring to it. Well, I wonder, what do you give someone who has everything? What do you give someone who has everything? A quick internet search pulled up a few ideas. Um, what about this? A, a dog selfies kit. Dog selfies kit. Yes, that's right. If you have a dog, you can buy a kit with all kinds of things so that you can take silly photos of it. Uh, A dress-up photo kit for dogs. It includes 11 original props, including sunglasses, gnashing teeth, speech bubbles, an extra-long tongue, a collar and tie, a hat and a suit jacket. All for your dog. Dog selfies kit. Or what about this? An Illumi bowl. Yes, that's right. An illuminated toilet bowl. It's a nightlight for your toilet for those midnight visits. (laughs) Comes in nine different (laughs) colours. And it's (laughs) motion-activated. Who knew? And then what about this? Flip-flop socks. Yes, flip-flop socks. For those uh, beach bums around, um, you can have that flip-flop summer look all year round. Basically socks that just look like flip-flops. In the same range, you have sandal socks and brogue socks. Well, yes. What do you give to someone who has everything? Don't get any of those. They're just trivia, aren't they? But maybe that's the point. Because if we have everything, well, then nothing is special anymore. Nothing's exciting. So all that's left is trivia. Well, Ephesians chapter 1, if you were here last week, we, we heard, didn't we, that in Christ we have everything. Every spiritual blessing. Because, do you remember that phrase that kept coming up through uh, verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians 1? In Christ. In Christ. Everything that we have, we have in Christ. If we're Christians, everything that belongs to Jesus Christ becomes ours as we put our faith in him. Just look back up to chapter 1 and verse 3. That phrase there. Every spiritual blessing. We've been given everything in Christ. And Dave, didn't, uh, Dave unpacked, didn't he, last week what that meant. We have a new status, a new identity, a new purpose. Well, what more do we need if we have everything in Christ? Well, trivia won't do. It's very striking that the next, very next thing that the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to um, Christians in Ephesus, the very next thing he does in verses 15 to 17 is pray. He prays for the Christians in Ephesus. What do we have? What do we give someone who has everything? Well, prayer. It's the first thing that Paul does. Uh, After describing what these believers have in Christ, he prays for them in verse 16. Why is that? Why does he pray for them? Basically, what's going on in this passage today is Paul wants uh, his readers and he wants us to really understand what we've been given in Christ. It's as though he's saying it's not enough just to know in your heads that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. No, that truth needs to filter down into your heart so that it impacts your life. And only God can make that happen. And so Paul prays. 
this is our theme uh, today. You see, Christian, it's not enough just to know in your head. You must pray that you truly grasp what you have in Christ. Because it's the secret of a loving and faithful Christian life. It's not enough just to know in your head. You must pray that you truly grasp what you have in Christ. Because it's the secret of a loving and faithful Christian life. So in verses 15 to 23, Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians. These verses are one long prayer. These Christians have every spiritual blessing, and we know that because what Paul says in verse 15, that um, they've, they've been included in Christ. He, do you notice that? He thanks God for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith that makes uh, these spiritual blessings theirs. Faith that has been shown genuine, verse 15, by by love for all God's people. Oh, these Ephesian Christians are definitely included. Uh, they have all the spiritual blessings. But because of that, they need Paul's prayers. So much so that, do you notice, he hasn't stopped praying for them, thanking God for them and for their faith. Yes, verse 16, but more, verse 17, keeping asking for them. Well, why? Well, why does Paul go on praying for them? Like this, Don't they have every spiritual blessing? Don't they have everything they need? Well, the clue is there right at the end of verse 17. As Paul prays that they would know. See that, see that word? That they would know God better. Now, what does Paul mean? Because in one sense, hasn't he just told them uh, already in verses 3 to 14 what they have? Don't they already know? Because Paul has just told them. Well, no. The... Uh, the Greek word here for know is important. It, our English word doesn't quite do it justice. It doesn't mean just to know something intellectually. It's a, it's a much richer word. It, it's more sort of intuition or, or perception. There's an intellectual part, but it's more. There's, it's to be affected by something, to be shaped by it, to be impacted by it. I suppose we we talk about something sort of dawning on us, the truth dawning on on us, don't we? Now, um, some of you may know, um, in September I've got a place at um, Bible College in London, uh, which I'm going to be taking up, and which means in about six weeks I'm going to be leaving uh, Sheffield, where I'm, I'm usually based, uh, to move down to London. And it just dawned on me on Friday that it's only six weeks to go. Um, uh, not long. Time to, 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 to get going and organise things. Is that feeling, isn't there? That sort of panic. And uh, then the, the actions. Um, time to get on to organise things. And that's what Paul is praying for. For it to dawn on us. Every spiritual blessing. Or oh, it's a little bit like, uh, like marriage. Now uh, we have lots of weddings here at St Nick's. Perhaps you're here this morning because you're hearing your bands being read. Uh, well, just imagine um, on, on the wedding day, well, that the couple um, sign the register and they, they get the piece of paper that says they're married. Uh, you know, they're, they're united to each other. That Mr. and Mrs. Well, what next? Do they just sort of go their separate ways? Well, no, of course, because the whole point is that the bit of paper that they get, well, it gives them a new reality that they have to then explore together. In other words, they need to know that they are married. Well, how do they know? Well, you've got the piece of paper, haven't you? But, but no, you've got the other person. In other words, it needs to dawn on them each day, doesn't it, that they're married with all the feelings and the implications that that brings. 
Well, verses 3 to 15 of Ephesians 1 are a bit like the marriage certificate. They tell us that a new relationship has been formed for the Christian. We are in Christ. Everything that is his is ours. Well, great, we can go home now. Well, no, we still have it all to come. For that truth of being in Christ needs to be felt, needs to be lived, needs to be experienced. That is what we need. We need to know. Uh, We need the reality of what we have in Christ to sort of dawn on us afresh each day so that we're impacted. And the only way that's going to happen, Paul says, is if we pray. You see, Christian, it's not just enough to know in your head that you're a Christian. You must pray that you truly grasp what you have in Christ because it is the secret of a loving and faithful Christian life. That's why in verse 17, just look at the end of verse 17, Paul prays that we would know God better. That we would know God better. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. It's firstly because God is the one who has given us everything in Christ. Remember how how the book of Ephesians opens? Just look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. God is the one who's given us these blessings. So it follows that if we really want to understand them, we need to ask him. But also, secondly, that the blessings of the gospel actually affect our relationship with God. Remember what Dave was saying last week. In Christ we have forgiveness, a new status. We are forgiven. We we become, in other words, right with God. And then in verse 5, Paul says, in Christ we are adopted, which means we become God's Children, You see, the blessings of the gospel actually bring us into a relationship with God. And so that means that the, 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 the only way to better and better know God is by really grasping the, the reality of those gospel blessings. Learning to enjoy them and so enjoy God. And it's a, it's a prayer that God loves to answer for all Christians. Notice that it's by the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation there in verse 17. And we learned last week that in verse 13 of chapter 1, all Christians have got the Holy Spirit. All Christians already have the Spirit. So all Christians can pray this prayer to know God better, to enjoy the gospel more. Now, there are three aspects to this knowledge of God that, Paul's pray, that Paul prays for in these verses. And they kind of hang on three words. Hope, riches and power. Hope, riches and power. And the first is there in verse 18. See, if you really want to know what you have in Christ, firstly, you must pray to know the hope to which God has called you. The hope to which God has called you. Well, what does it mean uh, when it speaks about hope? Well, in the Bible, hope is not sort of a a cautious optimism. You know, I hope the sun's going to come out uh, finally uh, sometime this week. Uh, No, hope is is a certain thing, because it has to do with God's promises. Now, what are God's promises to us in Christ? Well, look back at chapter 1, verse 10. And we see there described God's wonderful purpose, his promise, uh, to bring all things uh, in heaven and on earth under Christ. In other words, basically, in Christ, everything is going to be okay. Because eventually Christ will rule everything. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Well, do you know that one day Jesus Christ will reign and rule over the whole 
world. There is no hope outside of Jesus. That is the Christian claim. And Paul wants us to know this as Christians, that knowing in the depths of your heart that amidst all the chaos and the confusion you might feel, with all the questions, with all the, all the different threads of your life, one day God will bring them and tie them up together, finally, under Christ. This is the hope that Christians have been called to. We've been called to it. Now, um, I said earlier that, that uh, Judy and Dave um, are my are my parents, mum and my mum and stepdad. And in a few weeks, they're going away on holiday uh, to Turkey, I think. And um, they've asked me to kind of look in on the house occasionally as they go away because the builders are coming in. Uh, the builders are coming into the vicarage uh, to redo the bathroom. And uh, Dave has asked me to sort of. Uh, send him the odd photo just to kind of prove that they really are uh, doing the bathroom. Um, now, um, and it's good that I, I send those photos because, of course, they're away in Turkey, aren't they? They can't see that um, this, this plan of, of, of the builders is really coming on. Um, but as they see the photos, as I sort of text them the, uh, what's really going on, well, their confidence, their excitement about the new bathroom is going to grow... Well, it's a little bit like that uh, with God. You see, we can't see God bringing the mess of the world under Christ. We can't see it all the time. But the gospel promises are like those photos. As we see them, we can see proof that God's building work really is going on. And as we see that, our excitement and our confidence is to grow. You see, this prayer is very practical because if we really know the hope to which God has called us, well, it should bring a confidence, a joy, a deep-seated security uh, to life. You won't care so much about what others, what others think of you because you know that you have the love of the all-powerful God. You won't be so anxious about the ups and downs of the future because, well, you know that you have a more solid hope. You won't be living just for the next pay rise or the, new, the next phone model or the, the more satisfying relationship because you'll know that deep down your spiritual blessings are more beautiful, more lasting, more valuable. And of course, if you really know this hope, then you'll share it with others. You'll long to. This is a great prayer, actually, to pray for suffering Christians or depressed Christians. When hope is sort of gone... Pray that your suffering Christian friends would know and cling to the hope that God has given them in Christ, which is indestructible. So pray, if you really want to know, really want to grasp what you have in Christ, firstly, pray to know the hope to which God has called you. Do you know this hope? Do you know it? So if you're not a Christian this morning, the Christian claim is that there is no hope, finally, outside of Christ. He is our hope. Uh, Get to know him and you will get to know hope. So firstly, pray to know the hope to which God has called you. But secondly, Paul would say, if you really want to grasp what what God has given you in Christ, secondly, you must pray to know the riches God has invested in you. The riches God has invested in you. And it's there again uh, in verse um, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance um, in, uh, in the saints, in his holy people. Well, Paul is saying here that God has placed a great treasure in his people. To be a child of God's is to have God place an inheritance in you. It's to be sort of invested in. 
by God. Well, what does that mean? Invested in with what? Well, remember last week, verses 3 to 14, that phrase that kept coming up, um, in Christ. Uh, The Christian, if you like, has been sort of uh, picked up and placed in Christ. It's been sort of united to Jesus, so that everything that was his becomes ours. And the thing is that uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, is God's greatest treasure. Because Jesus is described as God's son, his son. And in Christ, all of Jesus' riches become ours. Uh, the clue is there in, in verse 3 of chapter 1. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, all of the riches, all the blessings, adoption, forgiveness, redemption, all of those riches are ours in Christ. Uh, God has placed this wonderful inheritance um, in us. And perhaps more than that, Christ himself is the treasure. He's the one who we love and adore. We get to live, uh, and live for him and love him and enjoy him. Um, and the point is that if we're Christians, we need to, to sort of know this. We need to see it uh, by faith. Um, because we don't see it by, by sight. It's a bit like uh, the illustration Dave used last week about the house. Do you remember? Um, the, the, when, when we become Christians, when we put our faith in Christ, well, it's, it's like the stage in, in buying a house when the, the deposit's paid and the contracts have been exchanged, but you've not yet moved in. You, you can't sort of see the house yet. Well, in the same way, uh, Christians have been, as it were, given the, the title deeds of a heavenly home. It's like we're walking around every day with our name on the the property deeds of of a mansion, a million pound mansion. And one day we will get to live in it, although we're not there yet. And Paul says that we need to kind of realise that, we need to believe that, so that it makes a difference. Well, what kind of difference? What difference does it make to pray this prayer? Well, praying to see the riches of of God's glorious inheritance in us is praying that we grow to live by faith. Living, uh, seeing things in their proper perspective, um, realising that spiritually speaking, if we're Christians, we are rich, and that therefore earthly wealth sort of pales in comparison. This is praying that if you're a Christian, you would value Christ, well, above everything else, above your job, above your reputation, above your money in the bank, that you count the spiritual blessings that you have as more valuable than anything else that you own. It's also praying that we would see the riches of God's inheritance um, in his holy people, in the saints. In other words, uh, looking looking around you and and seeing other believers as valuable and precious because they also belong to Christ. There's perhaps a lesson here for us um, if if we are materially quite well off. Um, It's great to have Rachel with us here from Kampala. I've been to Kampala a couple of times and um, I remember the first time I went, I was really struck by the poverty I saw. I'd never seen it um, before. And as Christians, it's quite easy to view other Christians through the lens of our own sort of bank balance or or lifestyle. And so we tend to sort of maybe look down or, or not really consider other Christians who are less well off than we are. But you see, this verse is saying that, well, your Christian brothers and sisters in Kampala, for example, might be poor materially, but see, they're richer than the richest king or queen because they are an heir to the kingship of the entire universe. 
Do you see other Christians like this? Do you love your believers in, in the third world? Never mind the third world, what about Stevenage? Christians in the poorer part of town. Christians in St Nick's who are different uh, to you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, you're not rich. Actually, materially, you are uh, poor or you feel poor. Well, Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, spiritually, you are rich. And uh, if you pray this prayer, then you will see it and it will change how you see yourself. Let me ask, what kind of wealth are you living for uh, if you're here this morning? Do you take every possible extra work shift or strive to get that promotion just to sort of uh, shore up your financial security? Well, Paul is saying don't live for material wealth. The riches of the saints are not in their bank accounts. They are in Christ. And that is the rich, that, those are the riches that should drive you, uh, not your bank balance. So secondly, if you really want to grasp uh, what you have in Christ, pray to know the riches that God has invested in you. And then thirdly, uh, if you really want to grasp the realities of what you have in Christ, thirdly, you must pray to know the power that God has made available to you. The power that God has made available to you. And it's there in verse 19, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Now this is a wonderful uh, verse. Um, notice that it is God's power for us. Um, it is not, not God's power in us. In other words, Christians are not, are not expected to sort of go around like a, a sort of Superman and you know, uh, raise people up from the dead. No, this is power that is there for us. Um, it's there for us to rely on, to, to utilise. It's more like the power of the governments. Um, it's there to, to, to sort of for us to, to, to make use of. Or, or, or the power in your car when you press the accelerator. It's power for us to lean on so that life goes quicker and smoother. And what power it is. See, immediately after mentioning this power, Paul sort of goes off on a tangent and waxes lyrically about it. So verses 19 to 21, this power is like the working of God's uh, mighty strength as the, that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. See, this is power that raised Jesus Christ uh, from the dead. In other words, it's power that is no match for our most feared enemy, death. And if God's power can deal with death, well then, it can deal with anything. And this power, see, put Christ on the throne, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Uh, you see, this power took Christ and raised him up to the very throne of the universe. In other words, God's power is, is more powerful than any other person in your life. Any other person or group of people on the planet. It's no match for the spiritual forces that might line up against you. And verses 22-23 say this power is power that governs all of history for the good of the church. Which means that this power can turn around the very worst events in your history or your present experience and turn them for good. It is power that can reckon with the unknown surprises that lurk around the corner or the worries that you have in the future and use them for your flourishing in Christ. And if you're a Christian, that kind of power is there for you. It's working for you. And we must pray that we see it 
and we rely on it. The rest of the book of Ephesians sort of fleshes out what this power looks like in the life of the church. So chapter 2, it's power that can make you victorious over battles with sin. Chapter 3, it's power that turns suffering around to blessing. Chapter 4 and 5, it's power that transforms relationships, marriages, even difficult ones. Chapter 6, it's power that protects us from the devil and from every spiritual evil. And chapter 6 as well, it's power that can make us, even the most timid Christians, speak fearlessly of Christ. And power that can bring friends and family under the lordship of Christ. See, we must pray to know this kind of power in our lives, in our church, for the Christians that we know. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're facing some unseen battle. Well, Christian, who do you rely on? Whose power do you turn to? To your own? Well, we have very limited power, don't we? You must rely on God and his power, which is far better than any others. See, it's not just enough to know in our heads. We must pray that we truly grasp what we have in Christ. Because it's the, it's the secret, can you see? It's the secret of a loving and a faithful Christian life. His hope, uh, the riches that God's given us, and God's power for us. So what do you give to someone who has everything? Well, you must pray. You must pray for them. You see, these things are not just there for ourselves. We must pray these prayers for others, for the church. Let me address us all together as I close. We're a mixture, aren't we, here at St Nick's, of all ages, all stages. Um, perhaps you're on the, uh, here and you're at the younger end. Um, you've got your whole life uh, sort of ahead of you. Well, I wonder what your, what's your life going to be about? Can I say, don't waste it on trivia. Uh, Praying that you'd know God better is the best thing that you could pray. Because as God answers it, well, you'll be living for the things that really matter, that really count. Uh, But this is a prayer as well for us if we're we're more settled um, in our jobs, in our careers. Um, And as you pray these things, actually you'll you'll find that your life sort of steps up a gear as you live for God uh, rather than um, your job. And for the older folk among us, perhaps you feel that there's, there's nothing more really left to aim for. You are, you've got everything you need, you've got your pension and your house, but, but you see there is so much more. There's so much more. Pray, pray this prayer and you'll begin to see how much more of God there is to know. And perhaps you're a parent or a godparent or a grandparent. Will you pray these things for your children, for your godparents, for your grandchildren? Don't just have earthly ambitions for them to to have good jobs and happy marriages. Pray that they would live for the most valuable thing, uh, God and the gospel. So it's not enough just to know in our heads. We must pray that we truly grasp what we have in Christ because it's the secret of a loving and faithful Christian life. Will you pray with me as we close? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, would you uh, make that prayer um, our prayer today and this week. Help us to uh, long in our hearts to know you better. Help us to catch that vision of not just believing in our heads with uh, that we have everything in Christ, but 
uh, praying that we would uh, live that out and, and see what we really have, that it makes a difference this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before Anthony comes and we can sit our prayers, we have to stand in a firm, our faith together, using the word.